Hey, I'm Dr. Britt, and I spend the majority of my time loving on people and helping them become the best versions of themselves. Think about me as your best friend with a PhD. It's really the best of both worlds, advice with truth, backed by research, and a whole lot of love sprinkled in. We chat about the stuff that can be hard to talk about, relationships, femininity, sex, self-esteem, health, motherhood, and mindset. My heart in this podcast is to give you a space to listen to topics that matter to you, to help you know what to do about it, and to let you know that you're not alone, no matter what physical or emotional state you showed up to or hang out today. So grab a chair, your coffee, a snuggly blanket, whatever makes you feel most at home with a friend, and get ready to go on a journey together. Hey, best friend, this is our podcast. Well, hey, best friend, I am so glad that you are listening today. I brought another one of my friends along for the party because I think that you need to know amazing people. And since we're all just you know, hanging around on the couch together. I hope you grabbed your coffee or your tea or your warm blanket or whatever it is that you like to listen to, like to have while you're listening. I hope that you did that. So I'm really excited about this topic in particular because my listeners are predominantly women, which is as intended. And a lot of women are also mamas. And a lot of mamas you know, don't feel like being a mama is sunshine and rainbows and unicorns pooping butterflies all the time. And so I have Dr. Olivia Waddell with us today. And she is a professional counselor like me, but she is also certified in perinatal mental health. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today is like, you know, what happens after those little people show up and really how our bodies and our mental health are impacted as a result. And many of you know, because I keep talking about it also, that I'm in this infertility process. I've done IVF, getting ready for transfer. And I am on a bazillion amount of drugs. And I can't even tell you how different my own mental health is or even having to recognize, wow, it's really my patience is really low today. And so recognizing the way, you know, because I haven't given birth, but me even going, wow, hormones are still impacting my everyday life. So without further ado, I just want you to meet Olivia and we're going to get going. Olivia, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I met um, I met Olivia uh, a while ago when we were teaching at the the same institution, and we were buddies. And I was so grateful for her because I yes. don't know. Uh, some days I don't know that I would have made it through without without an Olivia in my corner. <laughs> I agree. So, I wouldn't have made it without Brittany. <laughs> no, I'm so grateful. So mm-hmm. Olivia, can you just uh, just to kind of kick us off? Can you even kind of talk about why this topic matters or and and what some of the things moms experience after after birth? Absolutely. Um and it's something that I feel very strongly about um women and families having this information because I believe this is a type of knowledge that it can save lives. It can really save lives and I, I think we are doing an injustice to especially new parents um but also 
maybe those families that it's their second, third, or even fourth child, and it's the first time that the mom is struggling with postpartum mental health issues. So Mm -hmm. um, I came into this work um, full transparency because I had an extremely difficult postpartum experience. My son was born on March 27th, 2020. And if you think back three years, that was right around the onset of COVID. You know, when things started, Texas was a little later closing things down and things like that, but it was the same week that hospital visitors were no longer allowed. And we had to transfer from a birth center to the hospital. Thankfully, my husband was allowed to go with me, but nothing could have prepared me for what was to come because I had your textbook, quote, perfect, uncomplicated pregnancy. I was healthy. I was happy. Um, I did not anticipate or even know what was to come um, with my postpartum, my really difficult postpartum experience. So through my own journey with healing and education, and then my brain is a little research minded, as I know, you know, (laughs) um, I decided that helping women and families um, be more prepared was something that I really wanted to do professionally. So I shifted gears after a much extended maternity leave and decided to focus specifically on working with women and with that, uh, primarily moms, um, mm-hmm. so that we could plan and support and have, you know, some education and awareness so that pe- more people are not caught off guard like I was. Yeah, I I actually think, at least in my experience working with some postpartum mamas, that they're like, no one told me. Yes. No one told me how awful that I was going to feel. And by the way, this, oh, as I say this, um, my brain's just cueing me to go like, you know, not everybody's experience. Not everybody has yes, postpartum. That is Sometimes mm-hmm. it is rainbows and unicorns. They're tired, yes. but it is really great. Mm-hmm. And everything functions how it was intended. And that is some people's experience. Yes. But I have work in, and, and Olivia and I are in mental health. So of course, we're going to have people coming in with mental health struggles. Those yes. who are not having those are not going to make <laughs> their way to us. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to be clear about that, that you are hearing that perspective. But so many of those mamas are like, I I just had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yes. And a lot of times, and, and I know you can speak to this, um, a lot of times in our field, when people think about postpartum issues, they think about postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. But what I actually see more than postpartum depression is postpartum anxiety. Me too. Sometimes even postpartum like rage, anger, yes. rage. Yes. Can you, t- can you talk about that? A little yeah. Bit? Yeah. I think it's important too. I like that you mentioned that because it is important to point out the distinction. PPD or uh, postpartum depression is the one that is usually talked about the most. But like you said, I see much more, um, a much larger presentation of postpartum anxiety than postpartum depression. Um, With postpartum anxiety left untreated, it can become postpartum OCD. Um, Postpartum depression can manifest as postpartum rage, and I'll speak to that in just a few minutes. Um, Then we also have some of the um, lesser known, uh, but not rare uh, needs around postpartum psychosis, postpartum PTSD, and postpartum Uh, bipolar. So those are other presentations of postpartum mental health struggles. The, the mom rage, as we call it, and I know there's a lot of 
satirical stuff about mom rage on social media in particular. But um, what what I really think it is, is just looking at the bigger systemic influence of our society. We live in a world, well, especially Western society, United States, when I mean, when I say world, Mm -hmm. that's very unsupportive and really um, unforgiving of resting and not supportive of families and taking a step back and doing what you need to do to heal and recover. So when I have a mom that I'm either working with either through therapy or through consulting and support for their family, it's almost always conversations around unmet expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I you know, I thought of, uh, I thought we need a village, but we don't have yeah. a village. Uh, you know, people, families live much more spread out now and people are busier. And, um, you know, it's not uncommon that a mom has to go back to work at six, six to eight weeks when her body isn't even physically healed, uh, much less mentally, you know, there's still a lot going on. So, um, but there's always, I have never seen mom rage not overlap in some form or fashion with postpartum depression. And it's almost always once we start peeling back some of the layers, it's like a lot of unmet expectations. Um, it's not anger towards the baby. I do want to clarify that. It's not the type of um, situation like you would see with postpartum psychosis that might result in harm. Um, mom rage is usually very much internal. Um, and it's a, I think it's a direct reaction to just a society that's unsupportive of families and has these huge expectations for moms. And then in turn, it leaves mom f- feeling stressed out and overwhelmed and questioning like, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much to that. Uh, so much struggle. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's like, something that you said that was still important was unmet expectations. Yes. How do like, how do women, how do these moms Mm -hmm. arrive at these expectations? Mm -hmm. What, Mm -hmm. or what are they? I think um, one of the big ones that I hear, and again, this is speaking from my work experience with this population over the last three years, but also just from research and conversations in the community and things like that. um, The expectation that, We should do it all and be it all and uh, bounce back. You know, that's that's one of the things that um, is really rampant on social media that, you know, a picture perfect nursery, um, you know, how quickly you bounce back and fit into your pre-pregnancy genes. um, But nobody's really talking about like, how's your brain feeling? Yeah, you Mm -hmm. might fit into your pre-pregnancy genes, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But how, how are you feeling? mentally. Um, Unmet expectations, uh, some other things that can come up is like it forces parents in the home to look at division of responsibilities differently. Um, It leads to conversations that maybe families aren't prepared to have around necessary boundaries with grandparents that they didn't anticipate having. Uh, And I mean, even when grandparents are supportive, sometimes there still needs to be uh, some boundaries in place around visiting and having sleep, safe sleep spaces, you know, and things, things like that. So these are all conversations that we are not having during pregnancy because so much focus is on maybe a nursery, which again, nothing wrong with that, but a nursery and your birth plan. And um, we're not really talking about postpartum. And so that's why I'm just like, we have to, we have to change the narrative here. You know, I kind of think about it like, 
when people get uh, when they first get married and they they're so focused on the wedding and all of the things and they don't actually really think about all right, holy smokes, we're actually going to be together. I, I mean, the marry someone for, for the foreseeable future for forever, I think, is the intent. People don't get married to get divorced, I think. Right. So right. Um, I think about it a lot like that, where people are really preparing for the pregnancy itself or the baby, but not actually going, well, what am I going to need afterwards? What? what could happen or what might, what might I expect? Or like, what conversations do I need mm-hmm. to be having? And then something that happened to me, I didn't really realize it. I'm going to use honeymoon life. I did. I, I was a counselor when I got married. So I thought my husband and I had talked about like every single expectation <laughs> that we could ever possibly have. And then I got married and then I realized that there were others that we didn't talk about because I didn't even think to talk about them. Mm-hmm. And I know that that happens to mamas. Yes. Is these boundaries mm-hmm. and divisions of responsibilities and what yes. your body is doing and all the expectations surrounding that. Yes. I actually am just wondering aloud with you, Olivia. Yeah. If some of the mamas that might struggle, and I don't know, this isn't my area of expertise, so, but I find myself wondering if some of the mamas that might struggle with expectations are the ones that hold themselves to really high mm-hmm. expectations mm-hmm. and standards. Yes. Yes. I think, I think so. And I think that, well, I know that is where the postpartum anxiety can creep in. Um, Because again, largely because of ideas that are manifested through society about having a clean house and, you know, cooking cooking homemade meals and, you know, all of those things. um, It leaves moms feeling like that they're running a rat race instead of just being able to have some time to sit and connect with their kiddo. Um, it's sort of yeah. like that saying, uh, sleep when the baby sleeps, you know, that can be terrible advice without context. But um, again, it's just speaking to if we do feel like it's really retraining your brain and giving yourself permission to rest, take a step back, take it easy, um, mm. becoming OK with the fact that maybe your house isn't going to be clean all the time. And maybe you do have some homemade meals a few days a week, but you might order from Panera or McAllister's or somewhere else like that another day. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of it, I think that's a great point that you make. It's like we have to learn how to forgive ourselves for not doing all of the things. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if that means in turn that we can take a nap with our kiddo a few times a week or we can take a walk outside um, with little one in the stroller or baby wear or something like that, that, that in turn is really relaxing to the central nervous system when we get to the place of allowing ourselves to do it. But yeah, moms, we hold ourselves very much to the highest expectations, I think. And it can be really hard to reconcile when we're not always okay in that regard. I keep hearing you use this word and actually love this word Mm -hmm. because it implies that we have control. which is allow Mm -hmm. that we allow allow ourselves, we give ourselves the space, the freedom, the, the freedom to like have our house a mess, Mm -hmm. the freedom to take a nap, the freedom to whatever. Yes, absolutely. Allow is exactly, exactly what it is. You know, like if I turn my computer around, for example, I have a stack of unfolded laundry over there in the chair and uh, my little boy has some toys here in the floor just to the right. So um, I realized 
not as soon as I should have again, because like you mentioned, I did not have any preparation or awareness around what I needed to do for my mental health after having a baby. So um, I finally just through doing some of my own research online and um, looking at some of the less stressful social media accounts around motherhood, I came to terms with, okay, you know, when my son takes a nap in the afternoon, I'm going to nap with him because I feel better when I do. Now, I was not able to do that every day, granted. And the fact that I did, my maternity leave was much longer than anticipated because it was 2020. And so my maternity leave was almost like 15 months. And I know that's not reality for the majority of, of people who give birth, but um, it's like allowing yourself, but then also forgiving yourself for not meeting all of these expectations that are either societal mm-hmm. or cultural or that we hold ourselves to. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to link this to a previous podcast. Um, I had one of my friends, Dr. Krista Kirk on, yes. and we were, t- and we were talking about parenting and special needs. Mm-hmm. And she was like, sometimes you just have to give yourself permission to be a quote unquote, like bad mom. Because yes. the other times you're you're killing it and you're a really good mom. But right now you just need to not be the best mom. And yeah. that's okay. It is okay. It is okay. Yes. Yeah. And I think every family will. And I really enjoyed her podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think every family and especially moms will have their own non-negotiables because I've heard the flip side where, well, if I don't fold this load of laundry, then I'm going to be anxious about the living room being messy. Or if I don't do such and such, you know, fill in the blank, then I'm going to be anxious. And so in the work that I do, it's like, well, we need to pick your non-negotiables. Like for me, for example, I do like to um, have all of the dishes washed before I go to bed at night. That was ingrained in me from childhood with, from my mom. Um, It's like, no matter what the rest of the house looks like, at least have a clean kitchen for when you go in the next morning. So that's a non-negotiable for me. But I don't stress if I have a load of laundry on the couch or a load of laundry over here in the chair. Like we will, we'll fold it. It might be a day or two, but it's not a, not a non-negotiable. Yeah, you'll get to it. You'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my house currently does not look, and I'm, you know, I'm not in postpartum life, but my yeah. house currently does not look how I would deem presentable, but it is livable <laughs> currently. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then it gets, and then it gets presentable. Yes, for uh, maybe eight hours if I'm lucky, because <laughs> yes. four-year-olds are nanners. Oh yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Yes, so are three-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes, they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, even as we're talking about this, I'm going. All right, what are some of those things, Olivia, that mamas mm-hmm. really need to be on the lookout for? Be on the lookout for. Yes, that's a great question too. I think, first of all, just knowing that when these thoughts start to creep in or if anything feels off, um, especially longer than say two to three weeks after giving birth, one in seven moms, and there's actually some research coming out to suggest it's actually one in five moms will suffer from postpartum depression or anxiety uh, and one in 10 dads. So um, I think one of the main things that can be done is have, even though obstetrical providers are not trained in mental health, have those, start those conversations early. Um, You could ask them to screen you during pregnancy, although we have no um, universal screening measures, which is really sad, but we have no universal screening measures for perinatal mood or anxiety disorders. 
uh, either during pregnancy or postpartum. So um, if you are, for example, if you already have a diagnosis of depression or bipolar or um, anxiety, any of those things, and even if you don't have a diagnosis, but you know that you struggle with anxiety, for example, um, pay attention to that because that does increase the likelihood of you being affected in the postpartum timeframe. Now, again, it's not a guarantee, like because you deal with anxiety now, you're going to struggle postpartum. It's not a guarantee. That's where this perinatal mental health can get really, can get really tricky. I would also say do some postpartum, do some postpartum planning, you know, uh, include mental health in your birth plan and talk to your, um, talk to your provider about it. A lot of times though, I've been hearing from moms that providers will sort of just brush, brush moms off. Um, I had an obstetrical, an OB, um, I'm not going to uh, say any names, but I had an obstetrical provider tell me a while back that um, I was just spreading doom and gloom by talking about postpartum mental health. What? I was like, well, I was like, well, let's, I said, I'm actually sharing this in hopes of saving lives. I said, because I would rather have one mom out of many hear this and be able to access the help or at least know they're not alone than to not share this at all and have many people, you know, I said, if it helps just one. Um, so then that sort of led to an interesting conversation. And the OB said, well, even if somebody did tell us that they're struggling, we don't know what to do with that. So I think that speaks to a bigger, bigger not problem. to go too far into system, into <laughs> system stuff. Yeah. But I think it speaks to something bigger because, you know, like insurance doesn't pay for screening. Uh, and the majority of providers do not screen. So moms don't know to have these conversations mm -hmm. before they have their baby. Yeah. So, so you, it's just, they really have to be, it's like other moms really looking out for moms going, Hey, I hope that you never experienced this. Yes. I hope that again, that you're tired, but it's like rainbows and unicorns after you yes. birth a baby. I hope that that is your experience in the event that it's not in the event that you have these very anxious thoughts or you're finding yourself angry all the time mm -hmm. or like you just want to sleep or you don't want to do anything at all. Or you're having these like thoughts about harming your baby. Like I just want you to know like that's normal, but also please tell me so I can help you find help. Like moms mm -hmm. have to look out for other moms. Yes. Yes. Moms do have to look out for other moms. And that's where the conversations are likely to happen. It's not necessarily in an obstetrical provider's office. Um, for example, the OB that delivered my son never screened me, even at my six-week checkup. Um, it was my son's pediatrician that screened me for postpartum depression, but gave no context around the screening. And at six weeks, you know, are we really, you know, we're still very much in that fourth trimester where we're still reeling and adjusting to everything that has happened. So. Um, it was really hard for me to be honest on that screening because there was no context given. Um, and then with as much honesty as I did include, then I worried for weeks afterward that CPS would show up and take Elijah because mm -hmm. I admitted that I was struggling. So, and I hear that a lot in my practice, again, not just from clients, but from consultations and community events and things like that, that when women are screened because there's no context given around Hey, this is not a diagnosis. This is a baseline. You know, this is a baseline and we can have a conversation about getting you some help. Usually what happens is they're given the screening. It's filed in their chart and it's never discussed. 
Mm-hmm. So just that, again, speaks to some of the bigger systemic <laughs> systemic issues around yeah. maternal mental health in the United States. So, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never, I'm listening to you say this. And as you know, I've never given birth to a baby. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, that is mind blowing to me. Yeah, going, it is. Doctors are not actually screening because right. this is a, this is a big deal. Right. It is a big deal. I remember deal. someone that was very close to me was, was dealing with postpartum and I was like, you need to go, you need to call your OB today. Mm-hmm. And her OB did a great job. I mm-hmm. was like, you need to call your OB today and yes. you need to have a conversation about this. And mm-hmm. um, this person, you know, that they, she even got on medication for a little bit just to yeah. feel better, just mm-hmm. to, to do what she could. And she went to therapy for a little bit and, you know, had people help her and that that really made a big difference for yes. her. Yes, it, it does make a huge difference. And some OBs are wonderful and, you know, some midwives are too around, okay, we need to get you some, you know, get you a plan of care in place here. Um, but for all of the ones that are wonderful, I hear stories of the exact opposite, opposite. you know, yeah. um, where they're women will share and then like their concerns are minimized or completely invalidated or they feel shame for even bringing it up, you know, even bringing it up in the first place. So, well, I think culturally we live, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, but it's kind of like we live in the land of the need to be a super mom. Yes. And like super moms, I mean, they kind of exist, but they also don't, (laughs) you know, at least the perfect super mom doesn't exist. Exactly. you know, I, I have people see all that I do from have practice to teach, to, mm-hmm. you know, be married and have a child yes. and serve at our church and all these things. Yes. And people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do it all. And my, a lot of times I'll go, well, I'm not really sure I'm doing it all well. <laughs> just so like, just so we're clear, yes. because I think it's easy to see people look at whoever it is, a person mm-hmm. on Instagram or a mom yes. that we know or whatever, and they're like, Jeez, like you make all the things off of Pinterest. Yeah. You are a hero. <laughs> yes. I think those moms are heroes. I think they are too. Pinterest, you are a hero. Yes. And yes. but we can easily look at that and compare and say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm missing. Yes. I'm missing. Or I'm failing. I'm failing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So Olivia, when when we're thinking about, all right, we know what mamas need to be looking for. Yes. In terms of dealing with some of these things, you you talked about expectations, missed expectations. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about like the role of like sleep, absolutely, in, in yeah. these things. Yes, absolutely. Sleep is when you were talking about how our society values things. Um, you know, our this higher society very much, I think our worth is determined on our productivity. Um, So I think it should be the exact opposite when it comes to, uh, to motherhood and parenthood. It's like how much you allow yourself to rest should earn a lot of gold stars. Um, Because that's the, if we look, I have a a picture that I have in my office of the postpartum hierarchy of needs. And before Mm -hmm. we start working on anything else, we look at the very bottom and nutrition and sleep um, are two of the two of the biggest two of the biggest yeah. things. So when I do, um, because the irony of becoming of giving birth and becoming a parent is, yes, you do need sleep and you need to do things for you to rest and recover. 
but you're also entirely responsible for this tiny little human who's 100% dependent on you. Um, yeah. There can be some contradicting, stressful thoughts around, around that. But um, whenever I'm working with a family on postpartum planning, what I say, especially for the first two weeks and ideally for the first six to eight weeks in that fourth trimester, have a plan for food and have a plan for sleep. Um, so for example, if it's a mama who um, has decided to breastfeed and do exclusively breastfeeding, like your sleep is going to be automatically compromised. So we need to have a plan where you can, somebody that you love and trust, it might be husband, it might be mother-in-law, it might be uh, mom, it might be an adult sibling, um, somebody that you trust needs to be with you some at nighttime as much as possible. For us, because of COVID limitations, we didn't have family that could come to help. So we hired a postpartum doula uh, and she was amazing. And I still think she saved my life to this day. Um, we hired a postpartum doula to come and help us overnight um, occasionally, just because we had to, I, I felt my brain chemistry changing. I don't know if that makes sense, but <laughs> we had to do something to get, yeah. to get some sleep. So, um, and then during the day, I, I don't, I sort of have a love hate relationship with that phrase, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps, because I know it is not a statement that is true 100% of the time in every situation. Sure. But if you can, especially in that fourth trimester, uh, or at least six to eight weeks, allow yourself to rest as much as possible walk as much as possible, get outside, get sunshine. Um, if you're connected with a church, have them do a meal train where somebody is bringing at least one hot home cooked meal to your house a day. Um, we had an abundance of DoorDash gift cards, which actually worked out really well, but we still had people that would bring, you know, bring food and leave it on our porch. Um, because again, I had no idea that I wouldn't feel like cooking dinner, <laughs> you know, yeah. my husband cooked breakfast for us. And that, that was very helpful. He saw to it that we ate breakfast, but food and sleep. Um, and then too, I would say, um, having normal expectation, or I don't know if normal is the best word. You can tell me what you think, but having some realistic expectations around infant sleep, um, yeah. You know, a two week old is not supposed to sleep 12 hours at night. No, nope. <laughs> there are women who are convinced that they are failing because they're two week old is not sleeping at nighttime. Man, you're lucky uh, if you get three hour stretches, I think. Yeah. So like, yeah. If you get three hours, you are winning. Yes. yes. But your baby also yes. has to be big enough to be able to st like they have to exactly. weigh enough to be able to sustain yes. that. Yes. Yes. So feeding and, and then even if you don't do um, exclusively breastfeeding, like if you're doing partial breastfeeding with, um, you know, doing breast milk through a bottle so that somebody else can feed baby at nighttime, uh, or if you're supplementing with formula, or if you're doing primarily formula, whatever you're doing for feeding, especially in that first six to eight weeks, I would say even the first three months, your sleep is going to be interrupted. And there's just no way to, no way to so, avoid that. But that's why you should have a plan. <laughs> have yeah, a plan. I'm going to, I'm going to tell on myself. So we, um, adopted my daughter mm -hmm. and uh you have no not that you you can I guess you can have more you can have more uh control over timing you can with mm -hmm. with um babies that come from your own personal body <laughs> but my husband had a trip planned to go um with his men's group to the Grand Canyon um a month a month I think after my daughter was born we already had it already all paid for all the mm -hmm. things 
And so he was incredibly helpful for me that we decided that he was just going to, we were, he was going to go. It may have been two, two months, but honestly, (laughs) one month, two months. Oh yeah. (laughs) And one night Leah uh, would just not stop crying. She, I don't know what it was. She Mm -hmm. just cried all night. And I remember I like, this is it. There's a part of me that's like feels guilty telling this, but I also know like this is real life and I have shared yes. the story. Um, that I like imagined throwing her against a wall, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like yep. for her to stop crying. Mm-hmm. And that thought terrified me. Yes, because uh, I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrific. Yes, and I would, I would never I ever do, do that. Never, mm-hmm. yeah. I would never do that. And. Mm-hmm. But because I was so tired and I needed yes. sleep so much, like it, it would had it had been like a stretch of not sleeping. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, to think about like, and I and I didn't have all the hormone stuff mm-hmm. going on because she didn't come for my body, and right. so recognizing even I say that to say like sleep is so mm-hmm. pivotal. Yes. Sleep is so pivotal, and yes. I know that there are women like that was a one time for me. That was a one time mm-hmm. thought. That was so yes. very scary. Yeah. And like it was like I want this baby. Like I wanted this baby. I yes. I fought to have this baby. To have this baby. And to imagine throwing her against a wall mm-hmm. is like terrible. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and so I go, but I know that there are mamas. That mm-hmm. have thought about that way more yep. than once, Interesting and then thought. they're carrying, yep, and then they're carrying around the the guilt and the mm-hmm. shame of like, what's wrong with me that I would yes. think this? And I know that you hear that. Yes. Can you talk some about mm-hmm. those intrusive thoughts? Yeah, and the, the intrusive thoughts at nighttime are very, very common, just because they are they man they can really manifest in an overcharged brain. Uh, and so when you factor in maybe some anxiety, uh, not sleeping, maybe nutrition being compromised, all those things that can happen, especially in the first few months. Um, yeah, I have heard, I don't have a number, but I've heard multiple moms through the years say that exact thing. Like during the night when you're so exhausted, like you just have that it, and it is, that's what it's called. It's an intrusive thought. It's not based in reality. It's not based in something that you actually want to do or that you would do. Um, but you, you are just so sleep deprived and upset and stressed out in those moments that that thought pops into your head about doing something like that. Um, I had the exact same thought um, when my son was probably, I don't know, it was probably between three and four months old when he was still waking really, um, really frequently, but I was like, I, I feel like I'm going to die if I don't, if I don't sleep. So, um, Mm -hmm. and I I was honest with my husband about it. I said, I thought about just like throwing Elijah across the room last night. And that's still, I like, I could just cry my eyes out right now thinking about that, but it was because I was honest with my husband. He was like, okay, well, we've got to do something different. So we started rotating where, one of us could sleep in the other room and get some other, um, cause we did supervised sleep. So where one of us could get some uninterrupted sleep. Um, and I saw a major shift in my mental health. Yeah. I can that. imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We had to put Talia slept in our room for the first three months and mm-hmm. I had to put, I, we ended up having to put her, um, bassinet on the other side, like on mm-hmm. my husband's side, because, you know, he yes. can sleep through anything, yes. but every noise, every coo, <laughs> yeah. every whatever. Look I was like, up. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. 
she okay? She's okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Everything's good. Yeah. Or just hearing her stir would stir yes. me, even if I wasn't concerned that something was wrong. Yes. yes. Yeah. New babies. That's something else that a lot of parents aren't told. New babies are extremely noisy sleepers um, because they are adjusting to life outside of the womb and noises and sounds and textures and so much. Um, and during that time, you know, their circadian rhythm isn't established yet. So they are very noisy, noisy sleepers. Um, yes. so I would say, you know, they, they can settle down usually by three months or so, but even then they can still be noisier sleepers. So yeah. what are the, what are the biggest things that you would say to help empower those mm-hmm. mamas to, um, to take care of themselves, to, to get through this, that it's not a forever, like, what would you Mm -hmm. say to those mamas struggling? Yeah. Um, one of the first things I would say is something that one of my cousins told me, um, again, I think it was maybe six months postpartum or so, but she told me, and I had posted something random on Instagram and she replied and she said about not feeling like myself. And she replied and she said, give yourself a year or maybe two years. And she's a mom that um, has, has three little ones, you know, back, back to back. She was like, you know, just give yourself time. Don't, don't feel like that this is a a race. Um, That has always stayed with me. I've never forgotten it. And I've told multiple moms that since then. And then I would also say when you do get to the place of where you're feeling like maybe your head's above water a little more and you're starting to feel a lot better, um, the new normal that you come to, which I think normal is so overrated. Um, but the new normal that you get to is not going to be who you were before you had a baby. Um, that person, that person is no more. You're a a new person, a new, new mom. So, um, and then I would also say as far as empowerment, just even if somebody is struggling and they never reaching out, reach out for help, I hope they hear things like this podcast or, Maybe they know about the National Maternal Mental Health Hotline or they Google some, you know, there are some supportive resources online so that they know they are not alone. Again, Mm -hmm. think about your women's group at church or think about maybe when you go to a play date at the park, one in five women are also struggling. Um, So we're, we're, we're not alone. We're just, it's just still heavily stigmatized and it's not talked about but I'm very much working to change that and I know others are too so yeah I love that I mm-hmm. love that you're like I love that you recognize a problem and then you start taking action on the problem yes, yes. which is one of the reasons you were just the right person to have on <laughs> thank on you. my podcast anyways because I'm so about yeah. taking action and each of us have different calls and purposes in our mm-hmm. life or yes a lot of times we experience something and we're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that mm-hmm. this needed to be addressed or this needed help. Right. Um, so yeah, just, just amazing to think about giving yourself time, mm-hmm. really allowing yourself to have time. This is yeah. something again in our culture that we don't do enough Mm-mm, is to give ourselves time. I actually have to schedule it in my calendar. Real talk. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I, I have to put it in my calendar to make sure mm-hmm. that I do it. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm not going to cancel on a client. So I need to not cancel on myself. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know one of the ways. The exact same thing. <laughs> I love that. One of the ways that I rest is by painting. Mm-hmm. I've so seen turn off my mind. It's beautiful. Yeah, I turn. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Turn off my mind and um, 
just really are very in my body. Um, yeah. And sometimes I, you know, I sit and I get in the show hole, but I really just like to give my brain mm-hmm. even a different kind of rest. Yes. Yeah. That kind of rest, it really is. It's, it's so important. And I think that too, if we can come to terms with the fact that not sometimes we do have moments that are just sheer joy and happiness and things like that. But if we're not enjoying every moment, that's okay too. You know, that that's okay too. Parenting is hard. Parenting is just hard. Um, and I think even sometimes when we can do all that we know to do to prepare for it, there are still things that um, catch us off guard. So just recognizing that it's hard, mm-hmm. you probably are not going to enjoy every minute, but you can still have moments of joy and happiness and exhilarating peace and things like that. It doesn't have to be either or you can experience both and you probably will experience both. (laughs) Well, I think sort of as I like start to kind of like wrap us, I think a big part of that is where you focus. If you Mm -hmm. give your missed expectations, all the ways that your body doesn't look like it's supposed to, or people haven't shown up for you in the way that you think that they should have, Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it is, if those are the things that we focus on, those are the things that grow. Oh, yeah. Yes. Versus if we focus on the things that are good, if we focus on rest, if we focus on all of those things, mm-hmm. then we really get we we help our attention go to a yes. place that's going to heal us and bring joy rather oh, than yes. is going to continue to rob us of joy. Oh, yes, absolutely. And I would say with that, don't be, don't feel ashamed about reaching out for therapy. If you want to go to therapy, I I did. I mean, I'm a licensed therapist and I saw a postpartum mental health counselor for uh, off and on for almost a year. Um, I also took medication for a period of time. I needed it. Um, I'm not, I'm not on it now, full transparency, but I took medication for a while. And um, it's like, you have to come to terms with, I need to do some things for me to, um, Uh, to to get better and to feel better so that I am a better mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We all need that. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I think the best counselors are the ones that seek help themselves. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, I want, before we, before we just hop off, I I want to leave our listeners with a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. So, and these apply to all people. There will be some that are just kind of postpartum specific, but, the first question is, what do you need to give yourself time on? I loved that nugget. What do you need to give yourself time on? Second, what expectations do you need to adjust in your life? So many of us live with unrealistic expectations of what it is that we need to be able to do, to provide, to whatever. So what expectations do you need to adjust uh, three, when would now, you know, when would now be the right time to schedule rest in your life? Mm-hmm. And then finally, if you have friends who are in a postpartum phase, check in on them. When is now the right time to check in on them? And, and if you are in that postpartum phase, this isn't really a question. It's more of an encouragement, but to encourage you really to make sure that you have people in your life that you are checking in with and being transparent with because you need to not do this alone. You are not alone. Um, and I am going to link uh, Olivia's details 
in our show notes. So if you are dealing with this, if you're in the Texas area and dealing with this, or you know somebody who is, that you can refer to her because she knows what's up and she knows her stuff. Mm -hmm. And we need people, we truly do need licensed clinicians that know, that truly know how to address these things. Yes. So, Olivia. Thank you for hanging out with me Thank today. You. I loved it. This was the best way to start the day. Thank you so <gasps> <Yay>! much. <laughs> hey, best friend. Thank you so much for joining me and Olivia today. It means so much to me every time that you choose to show up and join in the conversation. You matter to me. Until next time. Hey, best friend. Newsflash. I want to know you. And in order for me to know you, you have to come find me on Facebook and Instagram. I want to connect with you. I want to know what's happening in your life, how these podcasts are connecting with who you are as a person. I want to hear about some of the pain points and things that you're struggling with. It honestly helps me know what it is that you need to hear from me on these podcasts. And it helps me connect with you even more. You're so important to me. What's going on with you is important to me. Even though we may be far away or miles away, it, we sort of just feel like a big family to me. And by the way, if you would like more of a personal touch, go find me on YouTube. You can actually watch these, watch me with my guests. So it's like you're there in, in an even bigger way. So I want to know you. Moral of the story, come find me. 